Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 569. And I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of skeletons that are in my house and closet. Yeah, I saw your skeletons posing in your workout room. That was very good. We have purchased this season a mermaid skeleton (gasps) and a new five-foot skeleton. So our plans are... I think we're going to take the mermaid skeleton and have her on the outside of the house crawling up to our bedroom window because we have this thing that sort of like juts out where we can kind of hang it. And so that'll be fun. And then we're finishing a bench to put in our front yard in our courtyard area. So we're going to put the two five foot skeletons in conversation together. Nice. But we're also going to put our 12 foot tall skeleton in the front yard, moving it from the driveway where we previously had it. Big plans for skeletons. Yeah. Gotta get that. Halloween serotonin, baby. <laughs> yeah. But we're not here just to talk about skeletons. Right now, we're going to tell you that this is the official Marvel podcast, where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. There's a lot of game stuff to talk about. Oh, oh yeah. There's a whole bunch of game stuff. Also, we're talking ants. We've got Al Ewing on, writer of the current Ant-Man run. And we have something special at the end of the episode. Mm, Stay tuned for a special Marvel Insider Code for 5,000 points later on in the show. And please tell your Marvel Insider friends, listen to the show. Don't just give out the code. I know how you do. You go on Reddit and you put out the code. No, make them work for it. Make them listen to the show and then become subscribers and then they become our best friends. That's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, this comes down to friendship, please. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of my best friend in the whole wide world, Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law, the series that brings me endless joy. This week's episode, if you haven't watched it already, no major spoilers here, but She-Hulk does go to a wedding. She does maybe meet somebody cute. Uh, No spoilers there. Also, introduction of a certain undying character that gave me the biggest tickle. If you know, you know, watch the episode. No spoilers. One of the fun things about The series is the outside stuff that's happening. The actress Jamila Jamil, who plays Titania in the series, is doing so much fun stuff on like promotion around the series. And there's really fun bonus content that's just happening on social media and whatnot. It is absolutely terrific. I know. I reached out to Ann Foley, who's a friend to me and the show. She is a costume designer. That works on the series, but she also worked on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for many Mm -hmm. years. She's a pal. She's the best. And as soon as I saw Titania's look, I messaged her and I was like, why did you give her my hair? (laughs) I was like, is this a call out post? And she laughed and laughed. So very tickled by that. Jamila Jamil is doing such great stuff on social. Also highly recommend following Anne Foley on social because she posts a lot of cool stuff about the behind the scenes and the costuming and whatnot, which is always really, really cool. And of course, you can watch episode six now available only on Disney Plus with new episodes coming out on Thursdays. I love this series. It's just my favorite ding ding thing. It's so great. And if you want even more She-Hulk action, of course, we have some Marvel must haves. There's a Titania shirt, a new Funko Pops, some She-Hulk pins and much more. You can go to marvel.com slash must-haves as we uh, we get to see some new stuff, new merch around Marvel Studio She-Hulk Attorney at Law pretty much every week after every episode. It's great. All right, let's get into it. Marvel Games is just like flooding the inbox today. <laughs> Super excited about it. Ryan, why don't you uh, hit us with this first big games announcement? Yeah, there's a brand new Iron Man game that was announced this week, which I think people were probably a bit surprised about, but it was very exciting. So there's not a ton of details right now. I'll tell you some stuff that we got from the blog post on EA.com because this is from Marvel Games and EA. This new title is an all-new single-player third-person action-adventure Iron Man video game in early development at Montreal-based Motive Studio. The team is led by Olivier Prohl, who actually also worked on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and there's a ton of other amazing veterans from video games who are going to be working on this title. And the game will feature an original narrative that taps into the rich history of Iron Man, channeling the complexity, charisma, and creative genius of Tony Stark, and enabling players to feel what it's like to truly play as Iron Man. 
Billy Roseman, friend of the show, vice president and creative director at Marvel Games, was talking about in the blog post about working with Motive Studio on this and said that working with them is uh, fulfilling, quote, our quest to deliver a love letter to a legendary hero in the form of the ultimate Iron Man video game. And then Olivier Prohl, who's the executive producer, said, quote, we have a great opportunity to create a new and unique story that we can call our own. Marvel is encouraging us to create something fresh. We have a lot of freedom, which is so engaging for the team, end quote, which is good. So we got big stuff, really cool. It's going to be a unique, original story and big, fun gameplay. The game is currently in pre-production phase, so we've got a long way to go. There'll be more updates as we get further along in the development. But this is an important thing. This is an exciting new collaboration between Marvel and Electronic Arts, with Iron Man being the first of several new games, according to the blog post. So stay tuned for lots more. And Motive Studio, terrific developer. They developed Star Wars Battlefront 2, Star Wars Squadrons, and they're working on a new Dead Space game, which is coming out in January of 2023, which I'm very excited for if I really want to get scared. Suffice to say, this is going to be really freaking cool. Yeah, and there's even more exciting games news. There is a new update this week for Marvel's Avengers. It's patch 2.6 with lots of updates and good stuff, including an elite villain sector, no rest for the wicked. This is a really cool new part of the game in which S.H.I.E.L.D. has detected a great power source coming from an aim lab in the Utah Badlands, and it looks like Monica Rappuccini is running the operation herself, which means now you can assemble a strike force and you can take her on in a new elite villain sector. There's also hero updates. The first changes and tweaks to heroes as part of the ongoing process announced in the August development update is happening to make sure that every character continues to feel like the superheroes that they are. And this update adjusts heroic abilities with every hero receiving at least one buff to a heroic. So if you're playing the game, super fun. And I love that this game just keeps growing. They keep adding more content. They keep uh, improving what the characters are able to do. And in future updates, they're going to be making changes to other parts of the hero's designs as well, not just to balance the combat, but to support every aspect of the superhero experience. So that is going to be really cool. Plus, there are going to be global changes that include better balance to combat and updates to heroic attacks. For full details on the updates and all the character tweaks and more, head over to playavengers.com and look out for the 2.6 patch notes in the news section. Yeah, they're really doing stuff to every single hero in the game. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There's there's lots of stuff and they, they're working hard on this game. Like we said, a lot of game stuff. So this week, we're also talking about some really fun stuff happening across a variety of Marvel games because we're celebrating Spidey's beyond amazing 60th anniversary for Spider-Man. We've got Marvel Spider-Man Remastered released on PC on August 12th, 2022. This version of the game is maybe the most stunning visually. It's got new enhancements for ultra-wide monitors and uh, NVIDIA DLSS DLAA, increased frame rates, and, and so much more. If you are playing on PC, please check it out on Steam or on the Epic Game Store. Of course, there's Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales on PC, which is coming later this year. Stay tuned and stay excited as we prepare to release that saga and get it on PC. So, expect that to be really freaking cool too plus there's marvel strike force coming soon spider weaver spider weaver is an original character created to celebrate spidey's 60th anniversary she's a native american warrior tasked with guarding the web of life and destiny she fights with mystic spider pincers that sprout from her back similar to iron spider the team who makes marvel strike force scopely they hired an indigenous consultant to ensure that the depiction and the lore is culturally authentic which we'd love to see it's very good game informer has some full details and more info on that plus there have been some other updates throughout the year that have happened that have all been really super duper cool on marvel puzzle quest and other places but of course you can follow all the marvel games updates over on marvel.com all right so last week ryan you mentioned that marvel legends has lab mm-hmm. is having an announcement and it is now announced so let's talk about it marvel legends is celebrating the 50th anniversary of ghost rider with a new type of HasLab project it's robbie reyes ghost rider and the engine of vengeance is really cool it's a 112 scale it has the card that's about like 18 and a half by seven and a half inches it's super cool it's got 20 led lights 
that make it look like it's lighting up with hellfire inside. Yeah. Plus, it has an additional engine, so you can convert it from the engine of vengeance into a more like street mode. The HasLab Marvel Legends Engine of Vengeance campaign, of course, this is one of those things where it's got to get backers, right? That's what HasLab is all about, is making these really cool new fresh toys. But if you want it, you got to back it. Ryan, how does that work? Yeah, so like it's about a year before you actually get the toy. So Galactus, which was last year's, that's on its way. It's shipping really soon. Sentinel was the year before that. So this one, the HasLab Marvel Legends Engine of Vengeance campaign is happening right now. It launched last week. They're looking for a minimum number of 9,000 backers, which is good. I'm looking at the site right now as we're recording, and we're almost halfway there, which is great. So... If we actually get to that 9,000 goal by the end of the day this episode releases, so the 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Friday, September 23rd, everyone who backs it will get a special early bird unlock of the Marvel Legends Robbie Reyes human form six-inch figure. If we don't hit that 9,000 by the end of Friday, we don't get the Robbie Reyes, but you know, we still have until October 31st to do this campaign. So there's plenty of time. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that this comes through. There will be extra tiers if, if you know, once we hit the 9,000, then there's more things, more six-inch figures, more characters who kind of fit into the schema. So we want lots of people to support this. Go. Everybody who backs it, once it hits 9,000 or more, will be able to buy it. And they get it. And it'll be great. And it'll probably wait like a year because it has to be made. It's not actually in production <laughs> until we get all those backers. So yeah. uh, it's pretty cool. You can go to the HasLab page over on HasbroPulse.com to check out all the full details. See tons of images of the Engine of Vengeance and the Ghost Rider in there below. It's Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider, and he looks... It looks really cool, y'all. But breaking news, Ryan. Tier one has been revealed for this Hasbro HasLab goodness. If there are 12,000 backers, delight in the darkness of Marvel's Mephisto. That's right. Ooh. We're talking a bargainer of souls, a corrupter of heroes, ruler of Hades, looks great in red, and he's finally made his way to Marvel Legends. He's an iconic villain in the realm of the comic world. Boy, oh boy, do we love this character. He's a staple character throughout the 50-year history of Ghost Rider, of course. And he is responsible for turning both Danny Ketch and Johnny Blaze into Ghost Riders. He's just a good old-fashioned soul stealer, and we love to see it. Love to see it. <laughs> Featured for the first time in Marvel Legends ever, it's six-inch scale. He stands about seven inches tall and features a brand new sculpt with pinless elbows and knee joints. He looks super duper cool. Again, this is if we hit 12,000 backers before that date in October, in which case all of the goodness that Mephisto will provide will be available to us. Just sign on the dotted line. All right, over in Midnight Suns number two, the comic, there's a new design for Agatha Harkness. Of course, Midnight Suns is a five-issue limited series about a mystical threat with an impact on prominent magic users across the Marvel Universe, which is written by Ethan Sachs and Luigi Zagaria. And in Midnight Suns number two, which is coming out on the 19th of October, just in time for spooky season, issue one is available now, but they're going to reveal more of Agatha's shrouded past and debut a new look for her, which we're super duper excited about. Of course, Midnight Suns, it's just like very well timed for this time of year for the Halloween season. So go get into it, get into some magic and some trouble. I'm excited for developments for Agatha. She's a cool character. She just showed up in issues of Captain Marvel. And she's been in a whole bunch of other places. So lots of Agatha. It's an Agatha world and we're just living in it. Over on Marvel's Pull List podcast, one of the other shows that I host, we talk about all the new comics out every week. We give some previews and some teases. We give our top picks for the new comics that are out every week. This week, our top picks include Avengers Forever number nine, Axe Judgment Day number five, and Exterminators number one. Avengers Forever, if you are a Captain Marvel fan, you have to read this issue. It is like full Carol Danvers amazingness. It's so good. And Exterminators, number one, is the Grindhouse-ish X-book. It stars Jubilee, Dazzler, and Boom Boom. And 
it's one of the bloodiest, wildest books we've ever put out. It's so good. And we actually have writer Leah Williams on the show this week for our reading club to talk about the original Exterminators comics from the 1980s and also to talk about the new Exterminators book that she's writing. The book is so good. It is bananas. I A couple ways I'm surprised we put it out. And it's I'm very glad I we did. I love Leah. Let's take some chances. Let's do some weird stuff. Let's get like extra frisky with our comics. It's terrific. It's really freaking good. So you can hear us talk all about that on SiriusXM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and go get Exterminators number one this week. It's really good. All right, podcast babies. Let's talk about Marvel's Wastelanders Doom. Of course, this is the fifth and latest installment of the multi-part audio epic scripted podcast series, Marvel's Wastelanders, that we're doing over here at Marvel Entertainment with SiriusXM. This is a weekly 10-episode series, if you have not heard us talk about it already, or if you've not heard the series so far. And if you haven't, well, how about a teaser for Chapter 3, Maskless? Let's hear it. Val, wake up. Huh? I'm not sure what happened. We were riding toward a compound, and it was just ringing in my ears. I guess I passed out. We're tied up. I can see that. What is this, an office? Yeah. Filled with weapons. I don't get it. Is this some kind of museum? <laughs> if only. Valerian Richard. Claw. Self-styled master of sound. Not merely its master. I am sound itself. Is it me or does he not look human? You know, in addition to the latest episode this week, we also have a bonus behind the scenes with Rebecca Naomi Jones, who plays Valeria, and Dylan Baker, who plays Doom, that you can only hear on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Also, chapters one through three are now available to subscribers to the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited for exclusive bonus content and to hear episodes one week early. But if you haven't done that, Chapter 2 is also available on all major podcast platforms in the U.S. There you go. Also coming up on the podcast jukebox, Marvel's Voices podcast. Of course, we've talked about it before, but the theme of this season is a more global look at the Marvel Universe and how nationality of writers and artists affects the world of Marvel once they begin creating within that. And this week's episode, episode five, has a pal of mine, Karima Horn, who shout out to Karima because she just wrote a really great new book called Black Panther, Protectors of Wakanda History and Training Manual of the Dormelage from the Marvel Universe. And she is talking to writer Juni Ba about writing Black Panther and applying West African influences to his work, which is super cool. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. You can listen to it on the SiriusXM app, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love the pod. So go check it out. This should be really, really fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, it is time for our own conversation this week, and on the show we have Al Ewing, who is the writer of the current Ant-Man comics. Ant-Man number three comes out in a few days. It's great. Each issue's got a different feel, a different look. It's got tonally stuff that sort of hits on all the eras of Ant-Man, so we get to talk with Al about writing Ant-Man and, and his just big weirdness and wonderfulness. His voice always brings a smile to my face. He's like one of the smartest writers in all of comics. Absolutely. His rise in the last few years has just been incredible to see. So let's take a listen to our interview with him right now. Lorraine, are you ready to do a live playthrough of the classic board game Ants in Your Pants? <laughs> Ryan, I don't think that's what we're here to do. What? what? We're not? <laughs> no, we got to talk to uh, our long lost pal, you know, we call him Al. Al Ewing? <laughs> hey, Al, how you doing? <laughs> Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are things with you? It's great. It's good. 
We're excited because we get to talk to you about Ant-Man because you're writing the new Ant-Man book. It's very good. Very excited to get into that. But before we do, and you've been on the show before, but still for the benefit of our listeners who haven't joined us before and heard you, what is your Marvel origin story? How'd you first get acquainted with the Marvel characters? Well, the first Marvel comic I ever read was a reprint of uh, Secret Wars from way back in the 80s. And the big advantage of that being the first book is that all of the heroes uh, stand in a line and say their names, <laughs> which is what we like to see. It keeps things very simple. And that's how that's how I got to know all of the kind of the main characters on a sort of week by week basis, as well as some other characters like Alpha Flight or Iceman who had a backup. But one of the characters who wasn't in the original Secret Wars was Ant-Man. Not even Hank Pym was there. It was an ant-free zone. So yeah, it was it was a long time later before I got to know him. So what's your origin with Ant-Man then? Where did you first encounter him? Do you remember? Not really. He's one of those characters who's kind of, because he's a founding Avenger, I feel like when you kind of, as you get to know more about the Avengers, you sort of get to know more about Ant-Man. But obviously, you know, joining Marvel in the 80s, it was it was after the fall of Hank Pym. So uh, in some ways, that was always a sort of a cautionary tale from the archives, from the back issue bins. And it was only later when I guess I got to read the essential collections of the 60s Ant-Man, back when Marvel and other companies were putting out these giant phone books of black and white reprints. Beautiful, thanks. Just the best. Yeah, I've still got somewhere on my shelves a copy of that Ant-Man... Giant Man, you know, because if you get all of his original 60s run, it, it fits neatly into one of those. And for a while, that was, you know, kind of complete and unabridged, and it was my favorite one of those essentials. Nice. Before we even go further into Ant-Man, for any of our listeners who have never experienced an essential collection, they are probably stupid expensive at this point, but Al described it as these black and white collections. They are like phone books, and they collected... 20 odd issues the paper stock was a little bit thinner it just gave you a different experience of reading and enjoying our comics oh those essentials yeah am i am i right in thinking those are the forerunners of the current sort of epic collections epic collections, which yeah. are which are all in color but are, are mm-hmm. also these big thick chunky collections full of issues that you can get the gorgeous gorgeous pieces Very, really good yeah So this year, of course, we are celebrating Ant-Man's 60th anniversary, and now your series is described as exploring the history of every hero, past, present, and future, called Ant-Man. So how did you approach that, and you know, how much Ant-Man research did you do leading up to starting to work on this? I'd already done a fair amount of research, you know, just through the normal course of events, because obviously, you know, I'd read that big essential collection, which had the 60s Ant-Man, and I was there at the time for... uh, irredeemable ant-man when that came out so the only one i needed to really catch up with was scott lang and you know i got to read a few of his greatest hits but with him again the most recent ant-man series is i really enjoyed those when they were coming out so um i was already pretty well placed the brief basically i was asked you know do you want to help celebrate ant-man's 60th anniversary and you know i i like ant-man i'm a fan of ant-man and you know in all his incarnations but there was, I think very, very soon there was the idea of doing, and I, I honestly forget whether this kind of came up as part of the brief, but it was it was there right from the start, was the idea of sort of going through time, going through the history of the character, and doing a story set in Hank Pym's time, a story set in Scott Lang's time, a story set in Erica Grady's time. And because Scott Lang is the current Ant-Man, we, we sort of do things slightly out of order in that we have, you know, a 60s story with Hank Pym. And then we jump forward all the way to the 2000s to meet Eric O'Grady. And then, you know, Scott Lang is in the modern era because he's Ant-Man currently. He's, you know, Ant-Man present. And then, you know, it's a four-issue mini and we wanted to kind of explore what a future Ant-Man might look like. So... We end up going very far forward in time to meet the Ant-Man of the future and, you know, work out what that looks like, what Ant-Man looks like, you know. It's not a huge spoiler to say 500 years from now or even longer. Something that I really love, you know, we've gotten a chance to read the first issue. It's so fun and it really captures the feeling of those early comics with Hank Pym, you know, feels like. You know, those 60s comics kind of have that feel of like, oh, we're coming off of romance comics and people talk a little bit more different. You know, they have a little bit more formal way of speaking. 
What was it like to sort of go back and figure out the voice of what a comic book looks like in that era? Oh, it's one of my most favorite things to do is to sort of work in different styles to try to try that sort of pastiche. I always have fun when I get to do that. So trying to get that sort of Stan Lee voice was a big part of the 60s thing. And also trying to get an issue too with Erica Grady, trying to sort of catch a couple of Robert Kirkman's sort of writing ticks of the periods and to just sort of, like you say, catch his voice. Where we really clicked was working with uh, Tom Riley and Geordie Blair. All three of us were kind of on the same page in terms of getting that kind of pastiche right each of us you know in our own medium i guess tom with the the line art and jordy with the colors each of us were trying to kind of get that historically accurate that tone kind of perfect so hopefully you pick up that anchorman issue one and it'll just transport you back to a a forgotten adventure of ant-man in the 1960s and then you know from there, you can sort of travel further in time, and we'll also drop hints of you know what a Marvel comic might look like five hundred years from now. So we get to uh, we get to pastiche a style that hasn't actually happened yet. So that's a lot of fun too. I'm glad you brought up Tom and and Jordy because I wanted to talk about them. Also, the the first issue, like the backgrounds behind the panels, they're not just white backgrounds. I think part of that flavor is giving it a texture and a, a sort of coloring that is reminiscent of those 60s comics. And I think that's so, it helps achieve the feeling that you're talking about so, so well. But of course, you know, Tom Riley had not seen his work until he started working for us and, and did the Thing limited series for us, gosh, over the last year or so, which was, I was like, I gobsmacked by his work. So really, really excited when I saw his name on here. I love this first issue. It's something beautiful. It's got this cool classic cartooning style that, you know, really achieves that 60s feel, but very modern and full of detail and emotion. For you, how much does your artist style, you know, and sort of what you've seen them do before, how does that affect your scripts? I mean, I worked with Tom on half of an issue of Hulk. So I kind of, I knew his style. I knew he had that wonderful, beautiful, clear line, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of anyone in that kind of area of comics art. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew, really, if he'd just drawn it in his regular style, it would have it would have been enough because his style is so beautiful. But right from the start, when he saw the script, he was like, okay, I've got some ideas. I'm going to sort of borrow a little bit of that Don Heck mojo. I'm going to kind of... And, you know, just the way he was talking about it. And then, you know, Geordie was the same. She was like, oh, I've had some ideas of how to catch that that color style without doing the zipper tone thing, you know, without kind of doing the little dots, which is, you know, is, is very often the sort of go-to for that sort of historical artifact look. But like, yeah, it was so great having just everybody getting on the same page and getting into the idea. And that kind of, that sort of makes me work harder in terms of like catching the voice but I mean, Tom, you know, I'd work with I'd work with him again anytime on anything. He's become one of my absolute favorite artists. Yeah, great guy to work with. I particularly love in the first issue, there's such a classic panel where Wasp just drops like a little kiss. She's teeny tiny and kisses somebody's nose and there's like a little heart. And um, there's just something about it that makes me way too happy about it. But, you know, you mentioned Jordi Belair. Of course, I mean, just... My favorite colorist of all time. She brings so much to every single project that she works on. I just think that the way that she sort of uses opposing colors in a complementary way makes everything feel so vivid and exciting to look at. How often is it that you get to work with a colorist so closely? Because I know a lot of times colorists are further down the line and a lot of time writers are already off working on something else. It's kind of rare. It's like usually... More often than not, I'll get a chance to kind of take a quick look over the pages as they come in. And, you know, sometimes I don't. There's a lot going on at any one time, so it's sort of often I'll kind of leave it to the artist to say sort of, well, actually, I meant this. Or, But, yeah, basically, um, it is rare to kind of have back and forth about exactly what the colorist is thinking. I mean, probably that's just the sort of the nature of the game, the nature of the, the sort of hustle in terms of getting these books out on time. But yeah, getting the chance to work with Geordie is just, 
that's one for the bucket list, I think. Especially on something that just has so many different coloring styles kind of contained within it. Even in that first issue, right? The sort of like bookends of the issue, Not, I don't want to give anything away, but it, it's a very distinctly different feel and look and tone and color tone to the other pages. And then with Tom's art, there's a, like a, it almost becomes like a Pasquale Ferry-ish vibe in, in some ways. Her tones are just so beautiful. Her palette is is so cool. It's it's a gorgeous book. I'm pretty sure the story is okay, but the book <laughs> is freaking gorgeous. I mean, I'm very, I'm very, very happy with how it looks. I think it's going to make a, a wonderful trade as well. Once it's all collected together like that, that's going to be, you know, a beautiful, a beautiful piece of work. Thinking about the, what we were talking about the eras and sort of the different periods that you're looking at, the different characters, the different Ant-Men, do we revisit any particular moments for them? You know, you mentioned some of the fall of Hank Pym, you know, big moments for Scott, you know, do we revisit specific things or are we sort of following where they are in their world as you were going through these things? Did you sort of, you know, revisiting them be like, I really enjoyed this more than I maybe previously thought? Yeah, there was a bit of that with Hank. It's all of these stories are sort of, apart from the, the Scott Lang one, which is like right up to the minute. It's sort of the modern day. It's, you know, it's happening now. But in terms of the Hank story and the Eric story, both of them are sort of slotting in between issues. They're not revisiting specific moments. They're, they're kind of an unknown story from a particular era. And certainly with Eric, I had to because his original series, and this is one thing I didn't pastiche, was the um, it jumps about in time. It tells parallel narratives at different time periods. There's sort of there's an extended flashback that's playing out against the present day story. It's really fun. It's um, it's some great stuff. But like having only one issue, I I chose you know not to do that. But yeah, I had to find that particular moment that it didn't make sense to tell. And there's like, there's one point somewhere in the story of Eric O'Grady where you can say, okay, this is when it happens. And it turns out that that's right during Secret Invasion. So we get to have some, we get to have some fun with that. With Hank, I made a real effort to go back to the 60s and revisit some of those 60s villains. In particular, I don't want to give away too much, I deliberately wanted to go for, like, the one-shot villains, the kind of... And, you know, there were a couple who I was like, oh, I'd really like to grab him. And then I thought, oh, no, no, this person's had a second appearance. <laughs> you know, you're disqualified, you're out. <laughs> I greatly appreciated in those stories, you know, we're bringing out those villains that are lesser known, that it also had, like, the Stan Lee good old-fashioned, like, if you missed him, you should have read about him in Tales of Suspense <laughs> number 42. That was a lot of fun. I mean, that was kind of a necessity because, you know, you can't bring back somebody who's like been in like one comic in the 60s and not tell the readers who they are. But yeah, it was fun kind of dropping little reminders of those original stories because I do, you know, they haven't 100% aged that well, but it's like I have a deep love for them still. We love the weirdos. Yeah. Can't help yeah. it. You know, there are so many wonderful Ant-Man stories and there are multiple wonderful Ant-Men what do you think is the recipe for making a great Ant-Man story? I think having a kind of an understanding of like what the limitations are in that you can do a lot with Ant-Man, but he's never, and I mean, I, I say he's never going to fight Thanos, but like um, <laughs> there is one of the great Ant-Man stories is the time Scott Lang beat up Doctor Doom. So you can, you can with Ant-Man do like the story where, he overcomes, you know, the villain who you never thought he could overcome. That's that's one of the classic Ant-Man stories. But also, I have a real soft spot for any Ant-Man story where he's going up against just a criminal. Like, a criminal with a gimmick. And it doesn't have to be a world-ender. It doesn't have to sort of set the world on fire. It doesn't have to be kind of... It can just be, you know, a criminal with a gimmick, and then Ant-Man, who is a good guy with a gimmick, and they fight. And it's fun. And it's like, that was, it was a real treat to kind of write a Hank Pym story where there was just at that level and kind of, that's sort of almost a camp thing, almost, almost like writing a kind of 60s, you know, Hank Pym is sort of, yeah, this is a guy who sort of cried over an ant. There is a sort of deadpan camp there. And it was so much fun writing the Wasp. 
60s era of the Wasp was a pure joy to write. It was like, you know, writing Emma Peel. So that was that was enormous fun. And hopefully that'll be a treat for any any Wasp fans picking up issue one. Definitely. So, so delightful. Yeah. You know, thinking about the various Ant-Men that we're talking about here, obviously they are, in their humanity, they're very different people. They have different motivations, different origins, different things. But obviously we have the the shrinking and, and sometimes growing that links them together in many ways. What do you think makes Ant-Man maybe even the concept or is it the powers? What makes Ant-Man such an appealing character that has helped us have 60 years of stories? There's something that's visually great about him. Even those very earlier stories, the very first ones with um, the Kirby and the Don Hacker, Anytime that man is around normal people, they're always sort of subtly distorted, uh, foreshortened. You always do get the sense of kind of entering, you know, this hidden world, this sort of shrunken world. And it's sort of really, it's really fun watching him ride an ant and kind of get into a catapult and run over a piano keyboard and all of this stuff. There's something that's pure fun about Ant-Man. I think once you kind of get away from the sort of, oh, this is the strongest person, you know, this is the mightiest mortal, this is the kind of, you know, this is the god of thunder. Going in the opposite direction to that and going, well, this is a guy who shrinks to the size of an ant and he can talk to ants. And it's like, yeah, well, what what stories can you tell with that guy? And they're always, they're always fun. I mean, you know, obviously Ant-Man has been through various dark nights of the soul but that kind of started after he stopped doing the shrinking that started when he started trying to do the growing and trying to be the strong guy and you know the tough guy and the sort of the big hero when he was just happy being out man life was fine life was good and i think that's kind of true for like all of the ant-man they've all got their limitations they've all got their flaws but they're always sort of in their eras they're always fun they always kind of you know, whatever your definition of a fun story is for that era, that's an Ant-Man story. There's nothing better than seeing somebody who's teeny tiny beat up someone who's big. That's (laughs) (laughs) just so delightful. You know, you've mentioned so many creators. Do you have an all-time creative team for Ant-Man or creators that you think have been really instrumental in the character that you look to? I feel like people forget Larry Lieber because there's a sort of if you go back to that earliest essential connection, there's a sort of alternating. There's a thing where sort of Stan and Jack will kind of set up a status quo, and then it'll pass to Larry Lieber and Don Heck will kind of tell stories within that framework. So you know you kind of set up the man in the ant hill and the first actual Ant Man stories, and then you know the Wasp joins, and then he becomes giant man there's always these little reinventions of the status quo but i always like the stories sort of between the reinventions where it's just playing with that new status quo as it is so um yeah i'd say i'd say probably my ideal creative team it's hard to go wrong with uh, with larry lieber and don hack teaming up love that back in the day that's generally you'll get some fun times with that pair classic Al, before we we fully finish up, I got to take a quick divergence because you are and remain a very busy man here at the House of Ideas. We've got Venom, which is a distinctly different book from Ant-Man. I've been looking through the first issue of Defenders Beyond, number one. So I want to talk about that. And then X-Men Red, which the I think it was issue four recently came out and I it like got me. It hit me at a, at a time and I emailed you about it because it was it's a damn great series, damn great issue. And emotionally, like I really connected with it. How much fun are you having now? Aside from probably being so busy, your teeth hurt. I'm, I'm having a certain amount of fun. Days when I don't have two different deadlines are <laughs> easier than days when I do. But generally speaking, I'm having a lot of fun right now. I'm getting to tell some very big stories. There is stuff coming up in X-Men Red that's extremely significant. Defenders, I get to, me and Javier get to go really deep into the Marvel cosmos with with nobody really putting any brakes on us. You know, we've been able to do some stuff on that book that I think is going to kind of rewrite the rules of a whole bunch of things. And I'm, I remain slightly surprised that nobody stopped us. 
<laughs> well, I, I think it's a testament to the two of you and the work that you've been doing. And my personal tastes, Javier is my favorite living artist. Every time I open a book that he draws, I am astounded and I find new ways to fall in love with his art. So I'm so glad you two are pairing up because it just, you each elevate each other in so many cool ways. I am a huge fan of his. And one of the wonderful things about Defenders is that I don't send him scripts in the way I, I mean, we've worked on the the working method. We, we back and forth about it. But I send him things that are more like screenplays than uh, comic scripts. Hmm. And what that means is that he has a kind of, it's like I don't even try and tell him how to lay out the story. And what I get back through the inbox are just some of the most incredible imaginative layouts, things I couldn't even have conceived of. Because, you know, when, when you're writing a comic script, you sort of, you picture the page in your head. Uh, you, you picture the panel in your head. That's that's how I do it, suddenly. You're always trusting the artist to kind of come up with something better than you can imagine. So, you know, you sort of write what you're seeing in your head, but at the same time, you know, not tying down the artist to exactly what you're seeing in the head, just sort of describing it loosely. I generally sort of say kind of how many panels per page, just as a general guideline. But with, with Javier, I don't even do that. You know, what I get, as part of that working method that's kind of unique in terms of how I communicate with artists, is just the most jaw-dropping, beautiful stuff. And, you know, that's why we're kind of credited as storytellers, because, you know, it doesn't quite break down in the usual way. And that's a kind of unique relationship that I have with it. That's an enormous amount of trust. I mean, oh, really, sure. to just say, like, take my words and uh, I'll catch you when the page is done. That's a really big deal. Now, you gave us like a little hint at Defenders and X-Men, but can you give us any little hints on what's coming for Venom? Uh, I think we're about to get into some major secrets dropping in Venom. We've seen a few times that Eddie sort of turned up in Dylan's story, slightly asynchronous to how he's been in his own story. It is a time travel story. We've been sort of seeing some of the time travel What's about to happen in Venom is that we're about to get some revelations. We're about to tie up some of the knots, you know, tie some of the bows on a few things. We're about to see how a couple of things kind of came to be. And once readers are through with Venom issue 10, especially, I think their minds are going to be hopefully blown in a good way. Like just you know, there's going to be some pretty monumental revelations about, you know, Venom, about the sort of nature of Eddie, the nature of the King in Black, Eddie's journey, a whole bunch of stuff. And from there, things are going to get even wilder. I like that. Also, you're working with Tom Riley on Ant-Man. You've been working with uh, Juan Cabal on various projects. You've got Javier Rodriguez. You've got Stefano Caselli. You've got Brian Hitch. You, my friend are very lucky, fortunate, and uh, <laughs> you, you've got some amazing collaborators. Kudos yeah, to you. It's, it's a good time for me right now in terms of working with, with some of the best artists in the industry. Anytime I get a page back in my inbox, I'm, I'm extremely happy <laughs> to get to see some of this stuff. It was wild. And dialogue it. Well, we will have to release you into the wild eventually, but before we let you go, let's say that you got yourself some pin particles... You could just spend a day, you ha you got them. What would be the first thing you do? Oh, um, I don't know. Try and fix some of the appliances <laughs> in my house that have broken. Yeah, it's, it's pretty mundane, but like so much broken stuff in my life. And it's just like, you know, I could get down and fix it. But I guess the other thing I do is sort of, I'm a bit of a Lego builder mm. in that I kind of, Every so often, I will treat myself, and it's it has been a while. I've got a half-built one that's been half-built for about a year. But every so often, I will treat myself to a Lego set, and I'll build, you know, a little movie theater or uh, or something. And you know, it'll be it'll be kind of a treat to sort of shrink down and kind of um, take a tour around some of the Lego things that I've built. You can have a whole town. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, I, I pretty much do. I just, the thing is, I don't have room to actually set it up. So it's all sort of, you know, it's all built on various shelves here and there. 
But yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably try and connect the whole thing up. Take a walk around it. Bask in my achievements. <laughs> that is so pure and wonderful. And I think a perfect way to end this conversation with you, Al. Thanks so much, pal. Thank you. Big thanks again to Al Ewing. You can see his work on like everything, flipping <laughs> huge number of comics, including Ant-Man number three, which will be out next week. So check that out. And you know, Lorraine, this conversation with Al has me thinking about ants. Oh, like my Aunt Debbie? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Everybody, does everybody have an Aunt Debbie? I feel like you have to, right? I have two Aunt Debbies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, we're not going to actually call up our Aunt Debbie. Instead, let's dial up our friend Dr. Corey Moreau. She's an entomologist, a person who studies insects. And I feel like she knows a lot about probably not my Aunt Debbie, but like other ants. I think uh, we can dial up the phone to talk a little bit more about ants. Shall we? Let's do. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Ring, ring, ring. Twin phone. Ring, 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 ring. Hello. Hi, Corey. It's Lorraine and Ryan. Hi, Lorraine and Ryan. Hello. Corey, please tell us a little bit about what you study. Sure. So I'm an evolutionary biologist and an entomologist. And so what that means is I run around the world's jungles collecting ants so that I can sequence their genomes and sequence their microbiomes or the microbes that live in their guts to figure out how they sort of persisted through evolutionary time, why there's so many of them, why they're found where they are. And how do they have all these symbiotic relationships with plants and with microbes and with other animals? So not everyone loves ants. Usually they ruin picnics. Why did you fall in love with ants? I think it's because I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I loved nature. But there's not a lot of nature in the city. I mean, you can see squirrels and you can see pigeons. But if you look down, there's this thriving world of insects everywhere you look. And what I loved about ants is if I found one, I knew I'd find more than one. And it wasn't just that I would find them, it's that I could watch them doing things in real time. I could actually watch their behaviors, right? I could watch ants having battles in the sidewalk. I could watch them carrying the cookie crumbs I put out back to their nest. It was really the fact that I could see nature being nature in real time. That's super cool. I love that. But of course, in the Marvel Universe, we have a wonderful superhero named Ant-Man who can shrink down to the size of ants. Thinking about that in our Marvel logic of things, he has the proportional strength and all this other cool stuff. How strong are ants? Would proportional ant strength be any good? It would be fantastic, right? I mean, so I would just want to back up for a second and just remind you that there are more species of ants than all the birds and mammals added together. And so the reason I bring that up is that with that amount of species diversity, of course, there's lots of variation. So some ants can lift only as little as five times their body strength or weight, but some can lift up to a 50, maybe even a hundred times their body's weight. So even the weakest ant is significantly stronger than we are, right? And so I think thinking about Ant-Man, I mean, that would give him just, you know, these remarkable abilities to sort of complete all of his superhero duties. I feel like, do you even lift, bro? That's what I feel like is the energy <laughs> that's coming at me from ants. But, you know, Ant-Man also, he has that helmet that allows him to communicate with ants. And, you know, there's some talk, whether it's like through pheromones or, or through just some sort of anti-conversation, how do ants communicate with each other and how would we communicate with ants? Yeah, so ants actually communicate mostly through something called pheromones. And so it's these sort of chemicals that are shared among individuals to communicate information. So there's alarm pheromones. So like if someone disturbs their nest, they release those and it tells all the other individuals in the nest to go on attack. There are recruitment pheromones. So if an ant finds a really juicy crumb out on the sidewalk, they use that to sort of, you know, bring others to that tasty food source. And so of course there's lots of communication that's happening through these chemical signals. So of course the helmet, maybe we could imagine, is actually a mechanism to sort of translate our thoughts into those sort of pheromone communications. Humans actually produce pheromones and we actually communicate through pheromones, only we're not cognizant of it. So maybe the helmet lets Ant-Man become cognizant of all the ways that we're already communicating. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned there are many, many kinds of ants, and some ants are able to fly. We, of course, love Ant-Man getting to fly away on his trusty steed, a winged ant. I guess how big would an ant have to be or how small would Ant-Man have to be 
for them to be able to carry him on their back. Are they beasts of burden, I guess? <laughs> yeah. So an interesting thing is that, of course, because they can already carry about five times their body weight, carrying around Ant-Man shrunk down to the size of an ant would actually be not a problem at all. But, you know, the thing that's pretty interesting is that not all ants have wings, of course, if you've probably seen them around your kitchen. And there's sort of one obvious you know, mistake with an Ant-Man and that is that it shouldn't be Ant-Man, it should be Ant-Woman. So anytime you've ever seen an ant without wings, that's a female. Now, when they have wings, it's a 50-50% chance whether it's going to be a female or whether it's going to be a male. So Ant-Man could ride a male or a female ant, but the communicating that's happening within the army of ants that Ant-Man enlists, that's all females. So it should be Ant-Woman. How about that? Just thinking about the movies, like as someone who loves ants and has studied ants and is, and is so engulfed in this, were you like, yeah, Ant-Man and excited? Did it? Were you just like uber critical and like picking up like, no, 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 no. As you're going through, especially in the first movie where you have a lot of scenes where he's within, you know, uh, when he shrunk down, he's interacting with the ants. What I mean, was your take on those films? To be honest, anytime anyone can get excited about ants, I am all for it. I want the world to love ants as much as I do. And if it's watching a Marvel movie or reading a comic book, and even if it's not 100% accurate, I don't care because it gets them intrigued in this group of organisms that are often overlooked. I just geek out anytime that there's ants or bugs in anything. I get so excited. Do you have a favorite species of ant? And two, can you tell us what the super swole ant is? The one that like can lift 500 times yeah, its weight? So first, what is it my called? favorite ant in the world is called the Florida turtle ant. They're these really cool ants. They have a really hard sort of exoskeleton or shell, and they can tuck their antenna into these little like pockets, which, you know, just like a turtle brings their limbs into their shell. That's what the turtle ant does. And they're just beautiful creatures. Everyone should Google it immediately. He has exactly. a great looking hat on. It yeah, looks like he has a cool she, hat. Exactly. Or she. And so she actually is a soldier. And so a soldier performs either active or passive defense. So an army ant soldier's out like with big mandibles or jaws, right? And defending the nest. But a turtle ant lives inside a hollow twig and she just sits there as a living door. She uses that flat dinner plate head to block the nest entrance. So all she does is sit as a living door all day to keep out intruders. That's my favorite ant. But thinking about the ant that probably can lift, you know, significantly more than their body weight. That's probably the Australian weaver ants. Okay, I want to put you on the spot for one more, which is which ant has the nastiest bite? Which one oh. should we avoid? Right. So some ants can bite, some ants can sting, some ants can do both. But the one that has the most painful sting is called the bullet ant. And in fact, there's a guy named Justin Schmidt who created the Schmidt Pain Index, where he went around the world getting stung by arthropods, spiders and wasps and <laughs> you name it. And he got stung by Ooh. it. He created this, you know, sort of categorization. And by far, the thing that had the most painful sting was the bullet ant. And the reason it gets that name is supposedly when you've been stung by one, it feels like you've been shot by a bullet. Now, the interesting thing is that we've all probably been stung by a honeybee. And honeybees hurt when they sting. That's a one. A bullet ant is at the top of the charts. It's a four. So really significantly more painful. I think I will skip that day. <laughs> <laughs> no Agreed. bullet ants for me, please. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, enlighten us a bit about ants and all of the cool things they do. It's been my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Click, click. I was telling a, a friend of mine who is also an entomologist that we talked to Professor Corey Moreau. And he's like, I know her. She gave a great talk. She's really great. She's amazing. He was like so excited for us to talk to her. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. You know what else is awesome? Marvel Studios, Thor, Love and Thunder. We're going to have some great folks on next week talking about the film, including VFX supervisor Jake Morrison and actor Kieran Dyer, who plays Axel in the film son of Heimdall. But I was thinking, since we're having on some Thor-friendly friends, I'd love to know what was your favorite scene from Marvel Studios' Thor, Love, and Thunder for the question of the week? Ooh. There's so many good ones. The fights are really cool, especially there's like the final fight and the fight on the, the moon that's in mm -hmm. black and white. That's a gorgeous battle. Every time the goats are on screen, I am just the goat filled scream? with joy. The first time I heard the goat scream, I almost peed my pants. I laughed so, yep. like, just a maniacal, insane person. 
also, this is a spoiler for the film. Skip like five seconds ahead if you don't want to hear it. But at the end when Korg meets his boo mm-hmm. and they hold hands over the fire pit, he meets Dwayne, which is my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, it is so great. And it just brings me joy. And also, I like to think about the VFX people that are just making that scene. Yeah. I think if I had to boil it down, it's probably the scene when they get to with eternity. That yeah. to me is like it hits this emotional high. It gets me every time. I, th- I was not okay after that yeah. scene. <laughs> oof, oof, yeah, so good. But we want to hear from you. So you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show. Yeah. Our question of the week last week was, what is your favorite Infinity comic on Marvel Unlimited? If you don't know, Infinity comics are the very, very cool new comics that you can only get on Marvel Unlimited, and you can scroll through them in that vertical format. They're so fun. There's so many great titles. If you're not reading them all right now, what are you doing with your life? Go sign up for Marvel Unlimited and do that. But we got some really great answers here. Yeah. First up was Amy at Spool of Flies, who says, Marvel Meow, giant-sized little marvels, and of course, it's Jeff. I love the Infinity comics that show us the lighter, more domestic side of superheroes. I care more about the big fights when I have these smaller moments to relate to. For sure. Next up, we got Brittany at Dandelion Brit, who said, Marvel Meow is the ultimate crossover from Flurkins and Landsharks to Fing Fing Foom and the Pet Avengers. You never know who might show up next. Yes, yes. Karis Pollard at A. Karis Pollard says, there is only one correct answer to this question, and it's Jeff. Runner-up <laughs> prize to Wiccan and Hulkling. Both are adorable and feature some of the best Marvel characters. Yeah, I love that Wiccan and Hulkling stuff, too. It's great. Herbe Dorotio at Herbe underscore Excelsior says, Avengers Unlimited is my favorite Infinity comic, and it features a ton of action and the roster of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. There you go. Crimson at Crimson 15 says, Deadpool, Invisible Touch, the unlikely pairing of Deadpool and Invisible Woman worked extremely well. It's a team up I'd love to see again. I wholeheartedly agree. That was a really fun one. We've put out a lot in the past year. So mm-hmm. I love reading these and being reminded of some of the great stories. Me too. Next up, Donnie Dorco at Dorco underscore Danny says, easy, Marvel Unlimited Hawkeye, my life as a weapon is hands down the best. David Aha art and the style translate perfectly to Clint Barton falling or scrolling indefinitely but the real reason however is lucky the dog love david aha's work on hawkeye in general and how fun to have it in that scrolling format yeah i I like that we've been able to adapt some of our you know classic stories to this and bring lucky the pizza dog to more and more people so good Mm -hmm. aiden arms at aiden underscore everett said my favorite infinity comic is marvel's voices iceman I love any and all LGBTQ plus representation, and Iceman is the coolest Omega level mutant, in my own opinion. Um, One, I love the coolest pun. Great job, Aiden. Two, not just your opinion, Iceman is an Omega level mutant. He's a big boy. He is. I think about that issue from a few years ago where he couldn't control his ice powers and he just kept turning into an enormous ice giant and almost froze the world. All right, next up, Kevin McShay at Ferdera1 says, it's Alligator Loki. The entire team is doing amazing work in the medium. One of the best comics, book, or strip I have ever experienced. The work they are doing with the Infinity format, using it to create comedic timing alone is astounding. I do love that because there's so many of these comics that aren't word heavy. And so like the scroll really dictates comedy and the timing and it can surprise you it's really fun all right we've got a whole bunch of great emails this week the first one comes in from heather fiona and nolan who says we are excited to share our favorite infinity comics nolan who's now seven puts wiccan and hulkling at the top of any marvel list he's a young hopeful romantic and billy and teddy are his favorite couple second is the ghostwriter valentine's day comic fiona loves it's jeff for all the obvious reasons 
and Mom is here for all things Jeff, followed closely by Alligator Loki. I also love the republishing of Hawkeye and She-Hulk in that format. I have also successfully introduced a cat lover to Marvel Comics through Marvel Meow. The attention <laughs> Alpine gets is worth it for me, though. Thanks to everyone at Marvel for all the entry points for all ages. This comic-loving mom has comic-loving kids who can't get enough. Thank goodness for Marvel Unlimited. And there's a really great drawing from Fiona of Heather in her Winter Soldier cosplay. It's just adorable heather i shared this note with like our president and a couple other people who are in charge of you know marvel unlimited and, and comics in general for us because this is exactly what we hope for we want our comics in these new formats like the infinity comics or just having ways to introduce our amazing characters to fans of all ages and knowing that you're all reading them together brings us such joy it's just the best yeah and if you have kids Comics like Marvel Meow, It's Jeff, Alligator Loki are great. 10 out of 10 would recommend. All right. We also got this email from Grayson Woznesensky who says, it's Jeff, 616 <laughs> present, and then goes on to share some desires for Jeff to make his way into more of the Marvel canon. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for all. It's Jeff all the time. Without question. So we got a couple emails from Dog Girl, who has just started writing to us, and we welcome all your amazing emails because not only are you sending us great emails, you're sending them from South Africa. I love getting notes from folks around the world. So hello, Dog Girl. She says, greetings from South Africa. Wolf Lorraine. Love great. it. And Agent Ms. Marvel cameos. I love these puns coming in strong. This is great. She says that playing video games while listening to This Week in Marvel has become her Friday afternoon routine. I always look forward to it, and it's often the highlight of my week. We're funny and wholesome, despite making me crave pizza. I don't know <laughs> that I've ever been called wholesome in my life, but I will take it. That's because this podcast is edited. <laughs> yeah. True, true. I don't curse nearly as much as I do normally. Anyway, let's keep it rolling. Duggar has some great answers to a variety of questions of the week. Favorite MCU cameo, uh, Ryan in Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel, obviously, and also whenever Phil Coulson shows up. Favorite Spider-Man story, Marvel Spider-Man Remastered for PC. That game is the absolute best. The plot had me in tears. Favorite Marvel Studios She-Hulk attorney at law moment, she explains that I watched episode one before English class after the post credit scene. I couldn't stop laughing and I was not holding it together for the start of the class. <laughs> My teachers and classmates were very confused. Favorite MCU costume is Ms. Marvel. The suit is just so perfect. I need to see more of it. Can't wait for Marvel Studios, the Marvels. And favorite Infinity comic is Love Unlimited featuring Ms. Marvel and Red mm. Dagger. There's nothing I love more than a bit of romance and secret identity drama. Look, dog girl, we appreciate all this we appreciate the photos that you've sent us and all this stuff and plenty of ms marvel stuff to come so thanks for writing in yeah next up we got an email from joe hoffman which reads dear lorraine ryan and james i hope you're all doing well thanks again for reading my email on your show it really brightens my day whenever you do and thanks ryan for cluing me in about your interview with kieran gillen about axe judgment day it was really cool to hear how a big event is put together and hearing kieran talk about how prolific he is really inspired me as i'm working to create content as part of my efforts to bring to life my musical saga about the blues the writing of which was greatly influenced by me reading marvel comics in answer to the question of the week, my favorite Marvel Infinity comic is It's Jeff, simply because it's Kelly Thompson, of course, the writer of that comic. I'm a huge fan of Kelly's writing, and each month I eagerly await the release of her awesome Captain Marvel comic, and I really enjoyed reading her Hawkeye, West Coast Avengers, and Black Widow comics as well. I also fell in love with Jeff when he made his first appearance in Kelly's West Coast Avengers, and I'm glad that she's still writing about this adorable land shark in her great Infinity comic. I'm also super happy it was renewed for a second season. Until next time, Twim family, I remain the humble ambassador for the United States of Marvel's pull list and this week in Marvel in the wheat state of Kansas. Much love to you all. Love that. All right, we got a bunch of emails in here this week from Mika Garg. Thank you for all the emails. And again, like Dog Girl, I love seeing international emails. And Mika 
writes us from India. They said, I have a lot of catching up to do with podcasts, but I have finally done it. Responding to a question of the week that we previously had, my favorite cameo would be Matt Damon as the Loki actor in the plays in Marvel Studios Thor Ragnarok and Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder. The recurring cameo made it even more fun to watch, even though... Tom Hiddleston will always be my favorite. Matt is definitely top three Lokis. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. And answering our question about favorite Marvel Studios costume would be the costumes from Marvel Studios Eternals. The golden geometric shapes on their costumes fit so perfectly with their magic. It was also really cool how their outfits went together, but were unique to each of the heroes. I love listening to your podcast. Definitely one of the best parts of my week. And then finally, Mika also answered our question about favorite moments from D23 Expo. They said, all the news about Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda forever. I already knew this movie was going to be amazing. But after the details revealed at D23 Expo, along with a costume reveal, each of the costumes was exquisite, have me so excited. November couldn't get here sooner. Secondly, anything and everything Marvel Studios, the Marvels, seeing Monica, Kamala and Carol in the same room just felt right. And lastly, the trailer drop for Marvel Studios Secret Invasion. I miss the face of Nick Fury, and this is probably the best way possible to make his comeback into Marvel after Spider-Man Far From Home. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, of course, if you want to get all those D23 updates, go check out Marvel.com. Man, there's a lot to be pumped about. But right now, there are some things you've got to be so pumped for. Um. <laughs> This is your Marvel Insider code. Of course, if you're not familiar with Marvel Insider, you should go over and sign up. Just head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics and articles and even listening to this very podcast right now. As we mentioned earlier, we have a very special code for listening to this episode right now. And as Ryan said, don't be a butt. Do not just post the code on Reddit or your blog or whatever. You can post the episode but make them dig for the code. All right. This code is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-23. So that is P-O-D-C-A-S-T-23. The code is valid until September 30th of this year at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. With the code, you receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it into the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. There are a limited number of redemptions available. There is only one redemption code per Marvel Insider. And then Marvel Insider, of course, is only open to U.S. residents 18 plus only terms and conditions apply. But go over to Marvel Insider. Go sign up and get them points, babies. Mm -hmm. That's it. We're done. Let's get out yeah, of here. Everybody go it. home. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Pagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to It's Jeff. He's a little guy who packs a bite. It's Jeff. Whether land, sea, or space, It's Jeff is what you need. <laughs> there you go, everybody. Lorraine is broken. We'll see if she's back next week. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. I have two Aunt Debbies. I have three Aunt Debbies. I have ten Aunt Debbies.